going to be returning this morning to the Gospel of Mark. We are preaching through the Gospel of Mark in our Sunday morning uh, services. And uh, today I'm going to be looking at a message I call, The Devil Went Down to Church. The Devil Went Down to Church. You'll see why in Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you not come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine? Is this. For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Uh, We are considering Mark's gospel as it is injected into a growingly chaotic scene. Uh, Rome was about to be taken over by a madman named Nero. Already persecution has broken out against Christians. That persecution is about to intensify. Uh, The situation in Judea was degrading rapidly and it would not be long before it would erupt into a full-scale revolt and resulting war between Rome and the Jews. Mark's gospel then was written to people in this growing chaos to remind them of some essential truth about Jesus Christ, about who he is and what he does. We last saw him when we gathered together calling four men. There was Simon and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John. All of them were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And then Mark tells us this in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught on the Sabbath. So one of the things that Mark is going to put into our uh, minds this morning, one thing he's going to set before us today is the truth of the Sabbath and what Jesus did on it. Now the Jewish laws of the Sabbath were established in the Old Testament. They gave the seventh day then, primarily Saturday, as a day of rest and worship. Strict rules were in effect. You could not work on the Sabbath. You could not travel uh, but a very short distance on the Sabbath. You you weren't to play. You were not even to prepare food on Saturday. Uh, The law went into effect at sundown on Friday night. And it stayed in effect then all the way until sundown on Saturday afternoon. These laws were also in effect on several holy days, and many of them were given a date, like Passover, for example, was the 15th day of Nisan. And on that day, whatever that 15th day of the month fell on, uh, whether it was Saturday or not, the laws of the Sabbath were in effect, and it was then a Sabbath day. Now, in the New Testament, we meet on Sunday, not on Saturday. We do this in order to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
And uh, the laws of the Sabbath then are no longer in effect, just like all of the Old Testament laws. They were taken away and done away in Christ through His completed work. But I want us to think for a moment about what it was like in Israel. Now, I visited Israel and I saw this play out live and in person. We went into Tiberias on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. Nothing was open. We went to our hotel. They said, we can't check you in right now. Uh, you'll have to come back after sundown. Man, at sundown then, that Saturday, everything just opened up. All the shops opened. The streets immediately filled with people. The restaurants were open. There was music and laughter and dancing and loudness. Everything just came alive then on Saturday night. The Sabbath was passed. I want you to understand this morning that many of us here today grew up in a time when all the businesses were closed on Sunday. Uh, about the closest thing I can bring to your attention about that today would be like Chick-fil-A. Only it was everybody. Imagine a world where everything closed on Sunday. Churches were about the only thing that was open. I never remember a time growing up as a child when we went out to eat on Sunday. We never thought about going shopping on Sunday. There was no place to shop. I moved to Little Rock in 1977, and I was amazed to find out that drugstores in Little Rock sold things other than drugs. I mean, all you could get at a drugstore in, in our little communities down home was medicine. But man, up here, they had these places, and they were open, they had all this stuff. I was, I was just amazed. It was, uh, it was, it was an eye-opening experience. We never had to worry about ball tournaments on Sunday. Such a thing was unheard of. Never happened. Now, you could play pickup game in the backyard, and we did that, but I learned the hard way that fishing was a very big no-no. Don't fish on Sunday. Something bad's going to happen to you. Uh, what did we do? We went to church. We ate at home or at somebody else's home. We visited. It was an amazing thing, visiting. That, that means you sit around and talk. He visited with friends and, 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 and other, mainly your family. Uh, did you take naps? Yes. Some of us, like my memo Harvey, perfected the art of visiting and napping all at the same time. <laughs> memo Harvey could go to sleep in the middle of a sentence. Hers. I've seen her do it. I have inherited that characteristic. <laughs> Just I could stop a conversation for a nap. What did we do? We worshipped, we ate, and we rested. That's what we did on Sunday in those days. I don't bring this up just to reminisce. I bring it up for a reason. I want, to think, I want you to think for a moment about how much our world has changed in a short time. I moved to Little Rock in 1977. I know that's almost 50 years ago now, but 40-something years ago. Still, that's a short time. Today, Sunday, is the biggest shopping day of the week and the busiest tournament ball day. Going to church on Sunday is just one of the multitudes of things that you can do. And I want to stop right here and tell all of you folks here this morning, I'm glad you're here. 
I know when I stand here and look out there, I'm looking at a bunch of people who had a whole lot of other places to go and a whole lot of other things to do. I am glad you have chosen to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. That's a good thing. We still have Sunday night services. Five o'clock. Show up here tonight at five and we're going to do all this again. One of the things that having Sunday night services does for us is it helps us. Because when you get home and eat and, and take a nap, you know what? It's time to come back to church. That's the way that goes. It kind of limits how much time you can spend going off and doing other things. It keeps us maybe from just getting into the habit of coming in on Sunday morning and, you know, just saying, well, I got my God thing done. Now let's head. And We need a day of rest and worship. In the Old Testament, it was a matter of law. But like everything in the New Testament dispensation, it is not a matter of law. It is a matter of grace. That is that God does not require this of us, but this is something that God did for our good. Uh, Jesus said man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. We need a day of worship and rest, the Lord's day. Paul said in Romans 6.15, just because we're not under law but under grace, shall we sin? And his answer was, God forbid, God forbid, we need a day of rest and worship, not because we have to, but because we want to. So it's a great thing for us today, here on Father's Day, and especially to all the dads in the audience today, I want to remind you of your responsibility to make sure that your family is brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord to follow Jesus. And though we're not under the laws of the Sabbath, and it's not Saturday, it's Sunday, we still have a day of worship. And a day of rest. Our task today will be to see what Jesus did with it. And of course we see immediately that Jesus went to church. And his disciples went to church. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The word authority in that text is the same as our word for power. Jesus taught with power. He preached with power. I'm not sure how the scribes preached, but apparently they preached without power. I want to be on the power side of that. Uh, Jesus preached with power, and the gospel is powerful. It was powerful then. We preach the same gospel today, and the gospel is still powerful. The word of Jesus Christ was powerful then. It's powerful today. So here is Jesus and the disciples gathering together in the synagogue, and Jesus is teaching, and he is teaching with power. But they're not the only ones who went to church. Somebody else showed up at church. The devil did. Verse 23, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. When this man was crying out, it means he screamed and he spoke, let us alone. This isn't the only time that demons are mentioned in our text. Look down in verse 32 at the evening when the sun had set. And this is at the end of the day. Sabbath uh, is on. So this is Saturday evening when the sun goes down. What happened? 
They brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, our text this morning is built around what Jesus did on the Sabbath, but it is also showing us the activity and interaction, the the bombardment almost that Jesus had with demonic activity and how that Jesus used the Sabbath day to deal with the devil. John would tell us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 that Jesus Christ was manifested. That is, he came into the world, he says, to destroy the works of, of the devil one of the things that Jesus came here to do was to destroy the works of the devil and that's just not something back then this is something that Jesus is still doing today he is destroying the works of the devil now the devil may not may not I want to emphasize that again may not be possessing people to the degree that he was in the New Testament era today. He may not. But that doesn't mean that he isn't still working and very active in our, in our world. And if anything, his actions are growing in our world as we grow, grow closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. It's my responsibility to tell you the devil is real. The devil is powerful. The devil is active. And he is after you. <laughs> and if you're a parent... He's after your kids. What does he want? He wants, first of all, to destroy the image of God in people. You remember that every man, every woman, every boy and every girl on this planet was created in the image of God. And that means that the devil hates them. And what he wants to do is to destroy any vestige of the image of God so that when you look at people, you don't see them in the image of God. You see this distorted, messed up version. He's out to destroy the image of God. He's out to destroy their lives. And to take away any productivity, any sense of normalcy out of their life. And ultimately, he is out to steal their soul for all eternity. Charlie Daniels had it right. The devil went down and he was looking for a soul to steal. The devil is the ultimate thief. Jesus called him that in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill And to destroy, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to know when you look around in our America today, you are seeing the fingerprints of the devil everywhere on our culture. Anywhere you want to look, he is alive and he is active. I'm not asking you to raise your hands this morning or even to nod your head, but how many of you in the last six months have said, people are going nuts? Have you said that? (laughs) This world's going crazy. Have you said that? If you haven't, (laughs) you need to. (laughs) Because they are. But it's not coming from themselves. Who is doing this? It is the work of the devil. He is a liar. And he is pulling people into their lives. You want to see what is happening to American young people today. It has the devil's fingerprints all over it. You're seeing the work of the ultimate thief, the ultimate liar, the ultimate killer, the ultimate destroyer of humanity at work. 
And so when Jesus and his disciples were going to church, Mark takes the time then to highlight something else was going on. And that is that this was a time when Jesus was going against the work of the devil. Literal, demonic opposition. It's all over this text. So what did Jesus do? Mark gives us a snapshot. One day, just one time, Jesus called these men. They went into Capernaum. It was the Sabbath. And immediately, they went to the synagogue, to the church. And what did he do? First thing Mark tells us he did is that he taught with power. He taught them as one having authority with power and not with the scribes. His teaching was with power. That comes through carefully and clearly by the end of the story in verse 27. What is this? They said, what new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The emphasis, you see, was not just on the person of Jesus, but on the power of what he was teaching. There is power in the word of God. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was then. There still is today. We believe in it. We can't help but observe that demons never disobeyed him, but people did. Demons never questioned him. People did. Demons never argued with Jesus, but people did. Whenever the demons had anything to say to Jesus, they did so in an imploring and very respectful manner because they knew who they were dealing with and that whatever Jesus told them to do, they would have to do. But you just think about how many people said no to Jesus, how many people refused to do what Jesus taught them to do. Jesus began to preach with power. I read this story. I wonder how long this demon-possessed man sat there in church listening to Jesus preaching before he decided to interrupt the sermon. He said, leave us alone. He said, that's enough. That's enough. Leave us alone. There's something to notice. Who is the us? Who's the us? Now, there were times, like in the case of Mary Magdalene, and we know that Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her that Jesus cast out. We know about the man that he found up in Caesarea Philippi, up around in that Gentile area, uh, that uh, had the legion uh, of spirits in him, hundreds. But the Bible very clearly says this man was possessed with a demon. This was just one. So who is the us? You know who it was. He's speaking for the crowd. There was only one man who was possessed by a devil, but there was obviously a lot of other people he had influence on. And he's using that influence now. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. What have we to do with you? That is, it's none of your business what we're doing. We're, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Leave us alone. You've come to destroy us. Listen, Jesus wasn't there to destroy them. <clears throat> Jesus was there to deliver them. And he still is. To deliver us from sin and of death. Jesus told this demon spirit to shut up, to hush. You hush, be quiet. Uh, be quiet really doesn't carry the, the strength of the language that in English that we do when we see it in Greek. You look at it, this is a very, very emphatic, very strong statement. Much like what we do when we say, shut up. You better hush. 
I come out of him and I cried out one last time, threw him into convulsion, and then he stopped. Jesus did not let these demon spirits speak of him because it would have only increased their deception. Folk, we need to understand that you and I today are living in America, raising our children in America, and we are in the midst of a time of growing demonic oppression and growing demonic deception and demonic delusions. We're talking about what Jesus did on the Sabbath, but you wonder what he did on Sunday morning? Verse 35, now in the morning, (laughs) that Sunday, having risen a long while before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everybody's looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I am come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee. And there it is again. Casting out demons. Casting out demons. The Word of God is powerful. You say, what do we do to demons today? We do what Jesus did. We preach the Word of truth to them. They don't like it. You need to remember, I'm not up here reciting nursery rhymes or mouthing pleasant platitudes designed to impress you. I'm here to preach to you the Word of God. It is powerful not because I preach it. It is powerful because Jesus Christ gave it to us and the Holy Spirit uses it today every bit as much as He used it then. Jesus went to the synagogue. He taught with power. He dealt with the devil. (laughs) That was a pretty big day. How do you follow that up? Well, I'm glad you asked. The second thing he did, he went home with his disciples. Verse 29. Now as soon as they'd come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife and mother lay sick of the fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she served them. Here's a great question for us today. Do you take Jesus home with you after church? Do you take Jesus home with you after church? Jesus dealt with that man who was possessed by the devil. He preached with power. When he gets to Simon Peter's house and Andrew, his brother's house, there was somebody homesick. It was One who was demon-possessed, but there was one there who was sick with a fever. How did Jesus deal with that? Well, he took her by the hand and, and raised her up. And the fever went away, and she felt fine. And it's a good thing because she had company, amen? I mean, it was time for her to get busy. And so she did. There's no doubt, you see, that Jesus has a place of power in the church, but does Jesus have a place of power in your home? Physical sickness is certainly at play here. Now, Jesus had a miraculous power to heal. It was a part of the sign gifts of the New Testament. He passed that along to the apostles. And when the apostles died, those sign gifts stopped. And so that means, well, you know, you guys don't believe in divine healing anymore. That's not the truth. We do. 
God is still working and God still heals people. We just don't believe that God is giving people the gift of healing the way He did in the New Testament. I can tell you I've been at this a long, long time. I've been young and I'm old. And I have never yet, I've seen a lot of people who claim to have that New Testament gift of healing. But I don't see any of them doing what the apostles did. And I don't see any of them doing what Jesus did. Uh, I have it on good authority that, that people who believe the gifts of healing are going on. You know, they, they, they struggle with death and have to have funerals just as much as those the folks on our side of it do too. You know, people get sick and God doesn't heal everybody. He didn't heal everybody in the New Testament either. But this was a sign gift. It was given, obviously Jesus had it. He gave it to the other apostles. I long to have that spiritual gift. But just because I don't believe that that spiritual gift continues does not mean that I don't believe God is not still in the healing business. Every time you get sick, do you ask Jesus to help you? When your kids get sick, do you pray and ask Jesus to help you? When you get better, do you say, thank you, Jesus? He did what you asked him. When your kids get better, do you say, thank you, Jesus? Oh, I think penicillin. Well, you know what? Penicillin can't hear you. And by the way, who gave us, who put that penicillin there and who helped us discover it? <laughs> uh, you know, just, just because we use medicine today and we don't even always do that doesn't mean that we're not crying out to God about our sicknesses and He responds. There's more than one way to be sick. This lady had a fever. But a lot of people are mentally sick. One lady called that being sick in the head. I understand that. In fact, uh, she went on to tell me after I had preached this message, and it wasn't here, as I preached on this passage. She went on to tell me that... Uh, all of her teenagers were sick in the head. There is some scientific evidence for that, young people. Uh, scientifically, we now know that that part of your mind, your brain, that allows you to think rationally and make good rational decisions and good rational choices, that that part of your brain doesn't mature until age 25. So there is some part of that, but you know what? Uh, we, don't always, we don't outgrow the ability to make bad decisions and bad choices. And a lot of people end up, they're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking straight, because, listen, they have given the devil entirely too much access to their mind. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 uh, that you be transformed. He said, and he's writing to Christian people, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You be transformed, have your mind renewed. And the reason we need that is because our mind is being filled up with the lies of the devil. We watch a lot of things and it is infested with demonic lies. We read a lot of things infested with demonic lies. We listen to a lot of things infested with demonic lies. And if you don't think the devil lives in the internet, rethink your thinking. He's all over it. He's all over it. And the more that we listen and the more that we watch, the more it changes the way we think. Jesus was living in a land infested with demons. 
and a place even where demons were going to church, you might think there's a safe haven. There's not. Jesus preached then with power and he taught with power. And that power demonstrated itself as it was destroying the work of the devil. And then the people took Jesus home with them. And then there's one more more last thing. And I'll just touch on this and we'll be done. Jesus then turned their home into a mission field. Jesus preached with power. They took Jesus home. And Jesus turned their home into a mission field. Look at it. Verse 32. And at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. It's the house where Jesus was. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. See, when you take Jesus home with you, others come because they know they can get some Jesus there. It was Simon and Andrew's place, but now it's become a Jesus place. Most parents uh, imagine what it would be like to be that place in the neighborhood that all the kids want to come to and hang out. You show the love of Jesus and that'll happen. You want to be that place then where people come because they know, they know that Jesus is there. Many, many came to Jesus when they took Jesus home. Many who were sick and dying were healed. Many who were in bondage to the devil were set free. What a day. What a day Mark gives us. In the midst then of this demonic infestation, Jesus went to church and preached with power. He went home after it with his disciples. And then he dealt with one who was sick. Uh, They took Jesus then home with him and he turned their homes into a mission field. What, What an example for all of us. On Father's Day, I can appeal to you fathers because of your position as spiritual leader in the home. You need to consider what's at stake. You see, we are leading your wives, you are leading your children in an America that is infested with demons. And awash with demonic activity. How do you know? Well, I can see it. But I have a stronger authority than just what I can see. Because the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Spirit speaketh expressly. Now, what the, the, the Spirit speaks with clarity. The Spirit was very specific about this. That in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrine of demons. It's 1 Timothy 4 and 1. We are living in that day today, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Dads, you don't, you don't want your children to be those who grow up and they start listening to seducing spirits. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And if it is true, if they may not, and remember I said they may not, they may not be possessing people today. But when you look at demonic perception in the new, or possession in the New Testament, You'll almost always find those demon-possessed people speaking as they are in this text. So that it appears that the main reason the demons would inhabit people was so he could take control of them and influence their behavior and use them then to influence others. <laughs> Devil doesn't need people for that today. He's got Google and Siri. All of this other stuff that is bombarding us right now seducing spirits he doesn't need something as antiquated as a mouth to speak his doctrine he's high tech today we don't want our children to give heed to be one of those that departs from the faith that they give heed to seducing spirits and the doctrine of demons you see gentlemen you need to know what's at stake God has placed you in the home to be the spiritual leader and protector of your family. You need to understand what's happening in America. There's only one power that pushes back against the work of the devil, and that's the power of the Word of God. Only one power that has the power to turn your home into a mission field, and that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember in Revelation chapter 9, the Bible talks about the unleashing of a veritable army of demons that are going to be turned loose out of the abyss. Uh, that's the bottomless pit, also called hell. These demons are terrifying when you think about it. If you look around at all that's going on in the world today, let's just remember uh, they hadn't even put the A-team in yet. Read Revelation chapter 9. When that army of demons comes swarming out of the pits of hell, the Bible says they have a king. This is the king of the bottomless pit, the king of hell. You know who that is? The Bible tells you what his name is. In Hebrew, it was called Avathon. In Greek, and John gave it in both. It's Apolluon. Apolluon. Revelation 9. It's a significant thing because, you know, the name of an angel, if you've read Scripture very much, you know that it was a, a very big thing to know the name of an angel. And so John gives us that name. This is his name. Apolluon. What's it mean? The destroyer. The destroyer. What did he say so long ago when he opened up his mouth besides saying, leave us alone? He said, Jesus, you've come to destroy us. No, Jesus wasn't there to destroy. And aren't you glad today that God doesn't leave us alone? That might be the cry, don't bother me. It might be the heart cry of multitudes in bondage today. They think they're fine. They think they're okay. They think they're right. They have no idea 
that they are living a lie. They have no idea that they've been drugged into the darkness. They have no idea that there is an evil, dirty devil that's out to destroy them. They don't know what they're dealing with. But we do. We do. Folks, we need to think hard and long about what we do on the Lord's Day. It's given us something vital, something critical, something powerful. The Word of God. We have an encounter with Jesus Christ and we see His power. We can take it home to our hood. I, I mean our neighborhood, sorry. We can take it home to our family. And others will see it. And those who are sick. And those who are under the power of the devil. And the power of sin. And come to you. To your house. Oh. What a plan. Let's stand together please.